Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Let's open up our Bibles, Romans chapter 11. If you'll join me there this morning, Romans chapter. This is why we really came here this morning. We came here to hear from God. Romans chapter 11. Amen. So if you have been around uh, our church for a few years, you know that I like to eat. Um, The problem is that when I eat, I gain weight. (laughs) And so the past few years, I have my, my, uh, my health and my weight have gone up and down. I tell people I've lost about 100 pounds in the last five years. I've lost the same 20 pounds about five times. And then I'll, you know, gain it back and lose it, gain it back and lose it. So I'm trying to break that, uh, that struggle. So I recently renewed my gym membership, started working out again. And, uh, but this time I did, I did one step better. I decided that maybe I should try to hire a trainer who's going to, like a, a, a PT, personal trainer, who's going to help me, you know, at least once a week just to, just to help out in this, uh, in this effort. And um, I've, I've already had three sessions together with this guy. His name is Elijah. Actually, I'll just ask you to pray for this guy, Elijah. When he found out I was a pastor, he was full of all kinds of questions. So I believe God's going to bring him to church one day. But anyway, this guy, Elijah, great guy, he formerly a bodybuilder, like he knows what he's doing in the gym. And the three sessions that we've had together so far, I have picked up some valuable truths. And uh, the first thing I learned is that a human trainer is superior to my app on my phone. I have a great app that plans out all of these workouts, shows me how to do them. I can track my reps and my weights, and it can track my progress. And I thought, hey, that's a great app. I paid for the app. It's a good one. But in the four years I've been using it, I'm still going like this. So I discovered that having a human being there is superior to that experience in two ways. Number one, when I'm doing well... He encourages me, and he praises my efforts. So that's something the app does not provide. He gives me a, hey, good job, you're doing great, excellent form, you've got this. The second thing that is different about a human trainer is that when I'm struggling, or when I am, uh, when I am on the, the last rep trying to lift that bar, this man pushes me to to go beyond what I thought I could do in my own strength. And he, uh, he pushes me, he gives it, helps me to give an extra effort, and not only that, he challenges me. And that is a different experience than I've had so far, so uh, you all pray for me, I can lose a little bit of weight this year. But 
I, as I was thinking about this, this is also the difference of why some people have success following Jesus and why others seem to lag behind in their faith journey. I like to call those casual followers. A casual follower of Jesus is like me using my workout app. Yeah, sometimes I'll, I'll get in there, I'll do, uh, do pretty good for a little while. But when things get difficult or challenging, it's very easy for me to just close the app and eat some cheesecake. A casual follower, when things get difficult or challenging with Jesus, will abandon Christ and His Word and His will. But a true disciple, a true disciple hears the same message from the Lord. Sometimes the message that we get from Jesus is a little offensive to us, isn't it? A true disciple is just as offended by the words of Christ, but instead of walking away, will struggle to understand and grow, and instead of being offended by Christ, will be transformed by Him. That is the choice we all have this morning. When Christ confronts you, you know, we love the Jesus that says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened and heavy laden, the comforting Christ. But then when Jesus begins to challenge us and confront us about issues in our heart, we often keep him at an arm's distance or we follow him from a long ways away. My challenge for all of us here today is to hear the challenging and confrontational message of Jesus and not to let him offend you, but instead to let him change you. And I want to ask you to join me as we read this scripture, Romans 11, one verse here that we're going to come back to at the end. Romans 11, verse 22, read it carefully with me. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God, the goodness of God, the severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you goodness if you continue in his goodness otherwise you will be cut off this is a message i've titled the comfort and the conviction of christ see how there's three c sounds in there comfort conviction of christ let's pray father we come by the blood of jesus i'm asking you right now hearts would be open god that ears would hear what you would have to say I'm praying that your word would touch our hearts this morning Speak to every soul, including me this morning. Lord, we desperately need you to move upon our hearts. God, bless this altar as we pour out our souls to you. We give you glory in Jesus' name. God's people would say, amen. So which is it this morning? Is God kind or is he severe? Is he merciful or is he mean? Is he a healer or is he a judge? Is he a comforter? Or is he a convictor? The real answer to those questions this morning is not that he is one or the other. He is all of those things. The Lord that we serve is kind and he is severe. He is a healer. He's also a judge. He is a comforter and he is a convictor. And we have to come to Jesus accepting both his goodness and his challenges. We have to receive his comforts and his convictions. And if you don't, you will always be an arm's length away from Jesus. 
if you can only be comforted by the Lord but can't be convicted by him, you will never mature in your faith. If you want Jesus to give you a big hug but then can't handle when he confronts you about your sins, you, like many others, will turn, turn and walk from Jesus and you'll never receive all that he has for you. But, so let's look, first of all, at Jesus, the comforter. This has been preached well in the last 30 to 40 years of the church here in America. This is a good message. Do you know why? Because people need to be comforted. This is a difficult life that we live, isn't it? We face all kinds of problems. We have difficulties in marriages, in relationships, in raising children, in being children, in growing into maturity. Everybody has a hard time with life. Anybody here ever been offended? Been betrayed? Know what that feels like, right? And when you are afflicted, what do you need? Oh, you need some comfort. And we know that Jesus came to reveal that God can comfort us in our time of affliction. We read about Jesus as the comforter. He is the gentle, lowly teacher, the healer of the sick, the one who restores those who are lost, the good shepherd who brings home the one, leaving the 99 behind. He is the one who paid attention to sinners when nobody else would to receive his grace and his kindness. And Jesus truly is the most kind and gracious person that the world has ever known. Is that true? John 14, 16. Jesus at the Last Supper is trying to comfort his disciples. Why? Because he's just told them that he's going to die and then he's going to go back to heaven. Now, if that was you sitting around that table, you would be concerned too. Because you've spent the last three years of your life following this man, watching him perform miracles, and he just told you, I'm leaving. That is upsetting. They are afraid. What's going to come next? And Jesus assures them with these words, John 14, 16, I will pray to the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Now, Jesus here is predicting when the Holy Spirit will come on the day of Pentecost and fill the church, baptize the church in the Holy Spirit so that the presence of God can be with us always. But what I find amazing about this scripture is that Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit as another comforter. What does that tell you about Jesus? That he is the OG or the OC, the original comforter. He is the one that came and comforted the the world in his revelation, in his Words that he spoke in his acts, in his healing ministries, in his revelation of God. He came to reveal the Father and thus he comforted all that came to him. We know the story of Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, Matthew 11, verse 28, where Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. How many of you have ever been comforted by those words? I will give you rest. Don't you need some rest? Maybe you're here this morning. You're under the labor and the weight of your sins. That this world has beat you up and spit you. You figured out that there is nothing in this world that truly satisfies. 
And to those who are labored in their sin, who feel heaviness and guilt and shame upon their hearts, these are sweet and tender words of Jesus. Come unto me. Give your burdens to me. And I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Oh, don't you need that rest? Especially when you have uh, gotten so wound up by the insanity of the world. And it is easy to be stressed out. And family issues and relationship issues and addictions and problems in life. And we say, oh, Lord, I need some rest. And for those who are afflicted, Jesus is a comforter. And when Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, what do we do? We say, oh, that feels nice. And that's what Jesus provides for us. In our sin, he provides comfort. Now compare that scripture, Matthew 11, that's an invitation, come unto me. We're going to read a a different invitation that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Listen to this one, where Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That doesn't even sound like the same person. On one side, all of you who are heavy and burdened and stressed out and fearful, oh, come unto me, I will give you rest. We are not minimizing that. We're not taking anything away from that. Jesus is our comforter. But the same Jesus who spoke that invitation is the same Jesus who says, you need to hate your father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and your own life also. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Is this the same person? He continues, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, just consider how differently that second invitation makes you feel. How does it make you feel? It's like, oh, there's a sense of offense. Lord, I thought you wanted me to love my life and love the people around me. This invitation sounds more like a disinvitation. Instead of comforting, we find it disturbing. And I know that whenever we read that scripture in church, the, the pastor will usually try to tone it down a little bit and say, well, you know, Jesus, uh, he's not actually talking about hating your mother and father. And, and see, we have to make it more Christian so that we can you know, make, make it more, more acceptable. We can swallow what Jesus is trying to say and try to tone it down. And I think oftentimes preachers make a mistake when they do that because Jesus didn't candy coat his words. Jesus didn't give qualifiers. He didn't say, well, let me give the balanced side of this. He said it straight. And if this, disturb, if this invitation is disturbing to us, can I be honest? It's disturbing to me. And we, here we are 2,000 years after Jesus said it, and we've heard it so many times and tried to understand it and tried to obey it. Well, imagine how offensive and disturbing it would be to the very first people who ever heard it. To the Jews who were listening to him him in the Jewish audience. It would have sounded like sin to them. You know that from the Jewish law that they had been taught to honor their father and mother if they wanted God to bless them with a long life. That's the fourth commandment, or 
fifth commandment. In Exodus 20, verse 12, honor your father and mother so that your days will be long. This is the truth that they heard to. And here comes Jesus all of a sudden saying, hate, hate father and mother and be willing to give up your own life. Jesus was not promising them a long, blessed, earthly life, as did the laws of Moses. But he required them to embrace a death sentence. Come and follow me. Where are you going, Lord? Well, actually, funny story. I'm going to be betrayed and then crucified on a Roman cross. Still willing to follow? I find the same truth in a common story in the feeding of the 5,000. Have you heard this story before? In John chapter 6, I'm just going to read a few portions because I think it helps us to understand what we need to understand this morning. How many know it's easy to attract a crowd with free food? <laughs> in John chapter 6, Jesus is teaching out in the wilderness. It's a long way from the local uh, market. There's no McDonald's out in the wilderness. There's no Chipotle. And they're out listening to Jesus teach all day long. Jesus is the one who invited them. A great multitude followed him. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes. This is verse 5. Seeing a great multitude, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? He is understanding that the people, the the multitude, the crowd that is there that day, that is numbered 5,000 men plus women and children. That's a lot of folks. And they're getting hungry. The day is growing long and people haven't eaten. And Jesus is seeing this. He is the one who brought them out there. So he feels a responsibility to provide for them some kind of not only a spiritual sustenance, but a physical sustenance. He says, guys, we got to do something here. He challenges the disciples. They don't know what to do. And, uh, and so Philip brings a little boy, steals his lunch, and says, Jesus, we found this kid. He, he's got five little barley rolls. That, that would be like a, a little, like a, like a bun, like that big. Five of those and two fish that he brought with him. His mother packed him a lunch ahead of time. And here comes Philip, the disciple, and snatches his lunch. And he says, Jesus... I found this kid and I robbed... No, he didn't rob him. The kid, I think, you know, wanted to help and had a good heart. Is there something I can help with? And he says, but what is this among so many? And we know the familiar story. Jesus is able to bless and multiply. Jesus took the loaves, verse 11. He gave thanks. He distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. This is a miracle that God did. Jesus is the one who comforted all these hungry people with a fish sandwich. Thank God. Jesus, you comforted us in our time of need. Isn't that what Jesus does? Oh, he loves us, doesn't he? He wants to help us when we're hungry. The Bible says after they all ate to their fill, they didn't just have one. They ate until they were all full. That's a lot of food. Then they gathered up the fragments and filled 12 baskets with that which was left over by those who had eaten. I always wonder, what happened to the 12 baskets? I bet you a dollar that Jesus sent them home with that little boy as a reward for his faith. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. So they are on Jesus' side. Man, they got their big bellies full of fish sandwiches. 
And they said, man, this guy, Jesus, not only does he teach us all day, give us instruction and revelation and, and speak to us about our souls, but he also, oh, he fills our bellies and makes us feel happy and comforted and well. It's like Thanksgiving afternoon. Unbutton the top buckle. Whoo, thank you, Jesus. But that's not the end of the story. Fast forward. Everybody camps out overnight. They wake up in the morning. Verse 22, on the following day, when people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no boat there except one of the disciples, Jesus had not entered the boat. His disciples had gone away. Jesus answered. And and so they follow Jesus again. They're looking for him. But verse 26 says that Jesus told them, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You see what's going on here? After 12 hours go by, it doesn't matter how much you ate the day before, guess what happens? They got hungry again. You know what that's like. You wake up on Friday morning after Thanksgiving, and what do you do? You raid the fridge. No matter if you had five plates the day before, you're hungry again. And so they got hungry again and they said, where are we going to go? Hey, maybe Jesus will give us another fish sandwich. And Jesus called him out, didn't he? He said, wait a second. You're not here because you want to hear me preach again. You're here because your tummy is empty. Then he gave them some words and some teaching that was very difficult for the Jews to receive. It says in verse 35, Jesus spoke to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. The Jews complained, verse 41, because he said, I am the bread which came down. They didn't like that answer. Jesus equating himself to the manna which fell in the wilderness. Then verse 53, Jesus said to them, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. What in the world is Jesus talking about now? Eating His flesh and drinking His blood? Don't they know there's a law of Moses that says you should never drink any blood? This was offensive to them. How dare you, Jesus, say something that breaks the laws of Moses? Verse 60 says, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Jesus asked his disciples, does this offend you? Verse 66, very interesting. This is John chapter 6, verse 66. And it says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Right there is a picture of many people when they come into the kingdom. They come in. Many people have received the comfort and grace and mercy of the gospel. Come in receiving God's forgiveness. Have a a spiritual moment at an altar. Eyes weeping. Heart open. God, save me. I'm a sinner. And receive a miracle from God. But the next time they come to church, they hear something they don't like. They hear a word from the Lord that confronts an issue in their heart and say, Lord, this is a hard thing to understand. I don't get this. And walk with him no more. My question is, what about you this morning? There's a lot of people 
who have chosen to walk away from the Lord. It's not that Jesus had no place for you, but you walked away because he said something that confronted you. Or you keep him at an arm's distance. You keep him distant. Instead of coming close to Jesus, you say, okay, uh, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll take it at my own pace. But listen, you can't have one Jesus without the other Jesus. You can't receive his comfort without also receiving his conviction. Y'all are quiet this morning. That's okay. I'm going to keep preaching. The Jesus strategy is this. Draw and then drive. What do I mean by that? Jesus will bring anybody. He draws in. He gives an invitation that is wide as the entire world. He says, come unto me all. For God so loved the world. The invitation goes out to entire humanity. How come the, all of humanity is not serving Jesus today? Because once he draws us, he drives us. He challenges us. Like my trainer. I go to the gym and he says, come on, you can do it one more time. And I could, I could say, oh, I'm not feeling very strong today. Why are you trying to hurt my feelings? No, he's trying to help me. And this is the same reason why Jesus will challenge us. Even though we can't understand it, we can't always comprehend it. The challenging words of Jesus are there for a reason. To push you. The strategy of Jesus is to invite and then to incite. He invites us, come unto me, and then he incites us and tries to offend us. Can you handle that? Jesus, even his disciples, he turned to them and he said, are you offended too? That's fine. I can serve God on my own. We spend a lot of time and effort. Uh, we are an evangelical church. Do you know what that means? That means we spend a lot of time and effort inviting people to church, don't we? And that is a wonderful thing. The Bible commands us to do that. That is our mandate. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We are supposed to be God's hands and feet. We are supposed to be the ones bringing people to the Lord. But don't be too discouraged when the ones that we invite don't stick around. Why? Because the Lord will deal with people. I can't be too discouraged when a hundred people that I invite, out of a hundred, maybe five of them stick around. I can't be discouraged. Why? Because if they did it to Pastor Jesus, it's probably going to happen to imperfect Pastor Adam too. Is that correct? What is, what is so important this morning is that we understand why Jesus does this. Stick with me and we're going to close. Jesus came to reveal two things. Number one, he came to reveal the nature of God. This is important to understand because in the context, the whole world before Jesus understood God as a judge. The whole world understood that God is righteous, He is holy, He is fearful, and to approach God means to get close to death. Even the Word of God says, He who looks upon the Lord, He will not live. Right? God is scary. Moses goes up to the mountain, and the people are down at the bottom. They're looking up there, and there's these thunder clouds and lightning, and man, there's wind and hurricane, and, and then Moses comes down glowing like a ghost. And they're like, ah! And he's like, anybody else want to come up to the mountain with me? And the people said, ha, that's okay. Moses, you go talk to God. We can handle that. God is scary. We should, be a, they, we should have a fearful 
a, a, a healthy fear of God because God is scary. He is a judge. So when Jesus comes on the scene, he begins to reveal God in a new way. It's not that God has changed. His nature has never changed. He is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. But what Jesus came to do was to reveal God as not just a judge, but when we approach God through the lens of the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, the death on the cross, the resurrection, then we can also know God as a good father. Now that's a difficult, loaded term these days because not everybody has a good father. Say, well, if, if God's like my father, I don't want nothing to do with him. But I, I said that we can approach God as a good father. And how does a good father treat his children? With love and compassion, gives them good gifts, spends time with them. And Jesus came to reveal God as a good father. First John 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He, does not, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God sent his Son into the world, that we might live through him. So Jesus came in a world that said God is a scary judge. And he began to say, yes, but also, if you ask for, for forgiveness, you repent of sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, he can be your Father who is in heaven and he will care for you and he will love you. And in that way, he will empower you to love everyone around you. That's what God is like. Behold what manner, 1 John 3, 1. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. So that's what Jesus, the first thing he came to reveal is that God can be your Father. That's a miracle. You know, the, in the Old Testament, you rarely find God described as Father. He, that is a New Testament idea. God as Father. Old Testament, it's God as Judge. It's God as Holy. It's God as Righteous. It's God as, uh, as uh, uh, Jealous. But in the New Testament, Jesus came to reveal God as Father. The second thing that Jesus came to reveal is the fallen nature of mankind. This is where it gets important for you and me. When Jesus disturbs you, and offends you, and disorients you, and he says something that doesn't make sense to you. Why does he do this? The reason is to reveal our own hearts as insufficient, as worldly, as fallen. When Jesus makes you cringe, remember this. The reason why is because your heart is not aligned to the values of heaven. John 3.19, this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Does that make sense to you? If you are a cockroach in my garage, you can live all day in the darkness, but as soon as I open the door and flip on the light, what do they do? All over the place. That is the nature of our fallen hearts before the Lord. And the reason why Jesus speaks harshly to us sometimes is to reveal the true nature of what's in here. And you can be saved for five minutes or five decades, and guess what? There's still a few cockroaches in there. And that's why we need his conviction. 
We need Him to speak some hard truths to us. And that when we hear those hard truths, we shouldn't, we shouldn't shun them or walk away from Jesus. We should say, thank you that you're still speaking to me. That you haven't forgotten that I still need your grace. I still need you to reform this broken and lost heart. Those are the two revelations that we have to have. God as a father and us as broken and lost. I close with this last thought. In Going back to that story in John chapter 6, when Jesus offended those that He had fed, now so many of His disciples have walked away. And the ones who remain are His own twelve disciples. At the end of the chapter, John 6, verse 67, Jesus turns to the twelve and He says, do you also want to go away? What do you guys think about this? Do you think that the disciples had already figured out what Jesus was talking about? No, they hadn't figured it out. They, do you think that they were also offended by the words that he spoke? The answer is yes, they were offended too. Do you think that it was just as hard for these disciples to hear what Jesus said as those who had walked away? The answer is yes. And Jesus turns to them, to them and said, you also want to leave? Oh, but thank God for Simon Peter, who, who pipes up. Uh, Peter is, uh, is a study of hills and valleys, man. His failures were really bad ones. Oh, but his victories were really good, one, good ones. And this is an example of when Peter speaks up on behalf of the rest of the disciples, and he speaks with a revelation you need to catch this morning. Simon Peter answered and said, remember the question is, do you also want to go away? And Peter says, Christopher Sost, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That is a revelation right there. What Peter is saying, he said, I don't get all of this. I don't understand what you mean by eat your flesh and drink your blood. I don't, I, you're going to have to explain this to me because I'm not getting it yet. I don't understand what you're talking about. But Lord, we know if it's coming from you, then it's good. And by the way, who else am I going to go to? Am I going to go to the local Pharisee and have him explain it? Am I going to go to the scrolls of Moses and have him explain it? Lord, you, you have the words of eternal life. So I'm going to stay here and listen to you until I understand. And even if I don't understand, Lord, I'm going to stick with you. Is that your heart this morning? When you open up the pages of Scripture and you read something that offends you to your core, do you say, ha, later for that. Ha, I'm not going to church this week. <laughs> That'll show God. Or do we say, Lord, I don't understand this, but I am going to stick with you because you have the words of eternal life. Who else am I going to go to? YouTube? Am I going to go to my shrink and get another pill to pop? Am I going to go to the government and get another check to, to cash? Lord, you have the words of eternal life. And even if I don't get it, Lord, I'm going to stick around. The end result is that Jesus has a tight-knit and highly refined group of disciples that says 
I'm willing to follow even if I'm offended. The purpose of the preacher is always to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. So no matter which group you're in this morning, my, my job on behalf of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit moving in your heart, is if you are afflicted in your sin, then Jesus can comfort you. But if you've grown comfortable in your unbelief, then guess what? You need a little affliction. I need a little affliction. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, if you know the story of the Corinthians, and the first letter that Paul wrote, man, that was a hard letter. He had to write some very offensive things. He had to correct them. He had to tell them what you're doing is not good. You guys are allowing this sin in the congregation. You're not judging it. Man, there is some wicked stuff happening, and you better get it right, Corinthians. And in the second letter, Paul writes to them, he says this, I made you sorry with my letter, but I don't regret it. I perceive that 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 letter made you sorry, but now I rejoice. Not because I made you feel bad, but because your sorrow led to repentance. That's the goal. That's the goal. Why does God hurt us? Why does he offend us sometimes? Because it should lead to repentance. If you don't repent, guess what happens? You get a bad attitude. You become like Jonah. Whatever, Lord. And walk away from him. But remember the scripture that we started with. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God. If you can only handle one, then you're not receiving all that Christ has for you this morning. My challenge as we close is listen to the Lord. Yes, when he wants to comfort you, but also when he needs to correct you. You can't have one without the other. Let's bow our heads and bring this service to a close. Thank you for listening to this episode of the VBPH Sermon Podcast. When you listen to these inspiring messages, you are helping to send missionaries from the Chandler Bible Conference in September. If you loved what you heard, please send this message to someone that needs to hear it. Then leave us a review using the links in the show notes so that everyone who wants to find this podcast will see it when they search for it. We cannot thank you enough. See you next time.